0: Well, good morning. Welcome to August. It's almost school time. All that Crazy. Well, if you have been around for a while, you've heard me talk a little bit about my background. Grew up in Nebraska. Grew up a lifelong Nebraska fan. Sorry. Hang with me here. Don't stop listening. Um, I went to my first game with my dad in 1972. It was Thanksgiving Day, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Johnny Rogers, uh, all of that. I still remember. I was sitting here thinking. I remember still driving in the car with Dad to the game and the anticipation of that. And so it's been a big deal for me, something I've loved as, as, since I've grown, you know, as a little boy, since a little boy. And Some of you have heard me share this story before. Uh, in 1983, Nebraska had what many... That was like one of their best teams. They had a name for the offense. They were called Scoring Explosion. When you got a name, you're really good, right? So they were called Scoring Explosion. They had Mike Rogier won the Heisman Trophy. Uh, Turner Gill finished fourth in the Heisman Trophy v- voting that year. So they scored points like 84, 63, 69, 72, 67, and so on. And so a lot of people thought, you know, this is the year they're going to win the national championship. And so as a sophomore in college, this was a big deal. I was all over it, right? Loved this. Nebraska was ranked number one when they played Miami in the Orange Bowl January second, nineteen 1984 for the national championship. And they were a huge favorite, but they ended up losing, to many of your delight, by one point when a two-point conversion was turned away towards the end of the game. And I was devastated. Alan was devastated. (laughs) Uh, We were devastated when this happened. Uh, Seriously, like, oh, man, my heart hurts. And I remember going to church the very next Sunday. I went to the Evangelical Free Church up in Kearney, Nebraska. John McNeil, the guy who ended up doing Cindy and my premarital counseling, he got up at the start of the service, and he said, Well, the idol got knocked off the shelf, didn't it? It's like, Oh, that just hurt. I'm like, He's not a Nebraskan, obviously, not a Nebraskan. <clears throat> Like where's the compassion? Where's the sympathy? We're hurting here. But you know, as I, I went away and thought about it, ultimately I had to agree, he was right. Nebraska football was an idol in my heart. Now you may not care about sports, and it may seem silly that something like a game could ac- occupy such a place in one's heart, but the truth of the matter is there's many things that, that we allow to take up residence in our hearts, that were never meant to be there. God alone is to be supreme. God alone should occupy that place. And so there's, there's all sorts of things, money, success, friends, hobbies, spouse, children, all sorts of good things that we allow in a place that was always meant for God and God alone. We all have a tendency to go down that road. And so today, as we wrap up our study in First John, we're looking at the very last verse, six brief words that invite us to take a look at our hearts to see what resides there as supreme. This verse, I'm sure like many, like me, like many of you have been reading through 1 John, and it just is this, it seems like this random last thought tagged onto the end of this book. How does it relate? You know, he hasn't talked about idols. And yet, as I've looked at this this week, I really believe It's purposeful that that John wants to drive home the message to his readers and us that we live for what is true. He's been describing how we can have this confident faith based on who Jesus is and what God has done for us. Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father, they are real. They are true. This is what John wants us to live for, and to live for anything else is to live for an idol. So we're going to look at this verse, try to understand what what John's saying to us here, and then seek to apply it in our 21st century context, okay? So it's John's final command, keep yourselves from idols. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. If you ever want to memorize a verse, here's a pretty easy one, six words. You can even memorize it in a different translation. New American Standard says, little children, guard yourself from idols. Look, you got it in two translations now. You're well down the road. <clears throat> so John uses uh, in this final admonition, admonition the, this term of endearment he's used before little children. And so like, like a spiritual father, he's just appealing to them and to us, keep yourselves from idols. I think it's really helpful as we understand what he's saying here to see it in the context and the flow of, of the previous verse that Steve preached on last week. And so let me read verse 20 where he said this. And we know that the Son of God has come and He's given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So we know what is true. Jesus Christ, He's the true God. Jesus is eternal life. Life is found in Him and Him alone. He is the real thing and so in light of this keep yourselves from idols keep yourselves from what is not true from what is not real now what exactly is John talking about though when he talks about idols um could be literal idols, could be he's speaking metaphorically. Uh, certainly, the church existing in the first century Roman world, I mean, real idols, idolatry was, was a thing that would have been around them. Uh, some believe that John's readers were in churches around Ephesus, and so Ephesus is where uh, the, the Artemis, um, also known as Diana, uh, the goddess of the Ephesians, resided. And so you read about that in Acts 19. Uh, the temple of Diana was considered one of the wonders of the ancient world, and so it was a big deal, and in the making and selling of idols was was a very big part of the kind of commerce around there, so there certainly could have been pressure by that. But John also may be speaking metaphorically, and I think that actually makes more sense when we think about what he has said in this letter, because John has been talking about these false teachers, these people who have left the church, who are putting forward an insufficient Understanding of Jesus, who he is and what he had done, they were putting forward an insufficient view of God, and so in a sense they were presenting an alternative God, and that view of of God. Then ultimately, if it's not God, it's something else, it's an idol. And so when I I think that's actually what he's saying, but ultimately I don't know that we have to decide uh, whether it's literal idols or figurative. Guard yourselves from idols. But this idea of a, a metaphorical understanding, it's certainly something we see in the, the New Testament. So like Paul in, first, in Colossians 3.5, he said this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, covetousness which is idolatry. And So Paul says covetousness, the desire for material things, greed, is idolatry. So it's not a literal idol, but it's something that can take up this place in our hearts. And so certainly Scripture has this metaphorical understanding. But again, I don't know that it matters that we understand it one way or the other. It's all idols. Keep yourselves from idols. There are idols, so keep yourselves from idols. Be watchful. Don't be passive about this. It demands a lifelong watchfulness, this guarding ourselves from idols. Calvin said, man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. In other words, we just have great propensity to put something else there besides God. So we have to guard ourselves and keep guarding ourselves from idols. So that's the verse. Pretty easy to understand, right? Um, So much harder to obey. So much harder to obey. So, in the rest of our time, I want to give a simple definition of an idol and then think about some things that might fall into that category for us and then think about how do we keep ourselves from them. Okay? So, what, what is an idol? Well, in the first of the Ten Commandments, God said we should have no other God before Him, right? And so He in establishing the covenant with Israel, was demanding exclusive worship, exclusive loyalty, exclusive devotion. If they worshiped or gave their loyalty to anything other besides God, that was an idol. And if you know your Old Testament history, Israel had a really big problem with this until they were carried away into exile. God is to reign as the supreme thing in our hearts. He demands our exclusive worship, devotion. And he demands it not because he's a tyrant that just wants to control our lives. He does so because he's the creator and we're the created. And he knows that when this relationship is right, where we live with him as the creator and we live as the created, following the created's instructions, that that's where we experience real life, when we have things in that right and appropriate relationship. And so here's how I would define an idol. An idol is anything we love, trust, serve, or pursue more than God. Now, there's probably better definitions out there. There's other definitions out there. But as I was studying this week, to me, this is helpful. Um, An idol is anything we love more than God, trust more than God, serve more than God, or pursue more than God. So we don't have a big problem in our culture here in the United States with literal idols on shelves. I mean, it is an issue. It's an issue around the world and other places, but but it's really idols that sit on our hearts that are the big issue. And so that's where I want to center my, the rest, kind of our focus today. And there can be sinful things like covetousness that Paul says is an idol. Certainly, Uh, When our heart runs towards sin, those things can become idols in our hearts, but but there's a lot of good things that become idols in our hearts as well, right? God has blessed us with so many good things that are to be enjoyed, and when they're enjoyed in the right way, they're just a great blessing, but we can allow many good things to take up the place of an idol in our heart as well. So I want to mention a few, and as I go through this, I actually would love if you would just sort of be talking to God, God, is this something for me? sort of whisper, Holy Spirit, please show me, please show me what's in my heart. We have such great propensity for for blindness and, and blind spots, and, and we need God to show us what's actually in our hearts. So, so this is just a sampling of a few things. Um, so how about family? Family, spouse, kids, parents, grandkids. Family is What a gift, they're so important. But is there any way that you put any of those relationships before God, that you seek them more than God? Or if you're not married, has the desire for a relationship become the thing that you seek most? Is the person you're dating kind of in that place of your heart that you you pursue and love more than God? What about work and career? Work and career, it's important, but has it become more important than God? What about your pursuit of money and possessions? Have these things become your God? Do you love them more? Do you seek them more than God? You know, as I was thinking about money um, this week, if you've been around, you've heard how that, like, my life worth money, it tends to be an area of stress for me. And and I had some insight this week, I think, in terms of why. Um, I believe that money at times is an idol in my heart. And it's not that I want to be wealthy or care about having a lot of stuff. That's never been a wiring of mine. I don't care about that. But I do look to money to give me security. I look to, and so when I think about the definition, if if there's anything I trust more than God for security, then it becomes an idol. And I have to admit, it is so easy for me It's easier for me sometimes to trust money for my security um, than God. And so when unexpected things happen, when unexpected expenses come up, a big car repair, and I get anxious, the reason why is I think money's where I'm secure, not God. And so it's an idol that needs to be removed from my heart. By the way, it's kind of an aside So it's my emotion that kind of helps me have that discernment. And I think uh, it can be really helpful to notice our strong emotions. Anger, fear, anxiety. Because sometimes I think what is happening is when an idol is being threatened, we get fearful, we get anxious, we get angry. And I'm not saying that's always the case, but if you have those strong emotions, one question to ask is, hmm, is there an idol at the root of this? And for me, money is kind of, you know, that's anxiety makes me say, I think money has that place for me, okay? How about other idols? What about pleasure? You know, I think God gives us so many good things to make life pleasurable and to enjoy, but is is it possible that the pursuit of those things has become an idol in your life? Things like food, sports, gaming, Exercise, alcohol, sleep, your smartphone. <laughs> Seriously, like, has, has pleasure become an idol? What about the church? Has your church involvement, your service in the church become more important than God himself? Has your desire to make a difference in the world become more important than God himself. It can happen. Church can become an idol. Service can become an idol. I want to mention one more. And, and this one is actually, I think, a really a, a sensitive one. And it's one that uh, kind of in terms of what's going on in our world right now. Um, but it just feels like we should talk about this one as well. And I want to assure you, as I, I mentioned this one, uh, there's no finger pointing. I'm talking about myself as well but what about politics? What about politics? We're called to be good citizens, and I think being active politically is a way that that we can do that, but is there a way where you're trusting a political party or a politician or political platform more than you're trusting God for your future? Is there a way you're trusting a politician, political party, or a platform more than you trust God for your future? And it's easy to go there. I get it. When I see how Christians at times make assumptions about another believer's commitment to Jesus based on political affiliations, it seems that maybe politics maybe have taken the place of an idol. Or when I think about how we are called to to love God and one another and how we have this great unity in Christ and who he is and what he has done, and yet I see friendships between believers broken because we can't give enough grace to each other to have a different political position, it seems to me that maybe politics have taken up a place in our heart that they were never meant to take. Maybe they have become what's supreme. Maybe we are trusting them more for our future than God. Now, we could go on and on. There's all sorts of things that can come into this place where we worship something as an idol. We seek it more. We trust it more. We pursue it more. I would encourage each of us to invite God to search our hearts. Take time to sit in silence with God and ask God, what are the idols in my heart? At the end of the sermon manuscript, so if you're in the sermon study guide this week, there are going to be 13 questions there that you can use. You could go to the Church Center app and and go to the sermon outline. They're there as well. Uh, If you get the sermon manuscript on the website, there will be 13 questions. I would encourage you to grab those and take some time over the next week or so just to use those questions and and ask, God, is there anything in my heart that is reserved for you and you alone, anything that's become an idol? We need him to, to show us. And so... We struggle with idols, so how do we keep ourselves from idols? And so whether it's, uh, there's one, you already have an idol in your heart, or it's about keeping the idol from you, what do we do to keep ourselves from idols? Well, like any other area in the Christian life, when we have strayed, when we disobey God, when we sin, the great place to start is to confess our sin to God, right? First John 1.9, way back at the end of this, or start of this study, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so if you find an idol there, it's not about you don't know, beat yourself up, you just turn back to God. You name it and you confess it to God. And, and so you, you realize that in, in having an idol, you're kind of moving into the darkness, you come back to the light, you confess it, you turn and you continue to seek God. And so we always start there with our sin. But secondly, <clears throat> and I think this is really important, become, we have to become captivated by Jesus Christ. We have to become captivated by God, our Heavenly Father. He is the truth. He is what is real. I think anytime something takes God's place in our heart, the reason why it does is because we don't have a big enough view of God. And and so we look for something else to give us what we need. And so when I worry about money, when I become anxious about money, it's because I have an insufficient view that God is my Heavenly Father. And he's a really good provider, and he's demonstrated that through my whole life, but I worry because I, I have this insufficient view. I forget who God is, how wonderful he is, And I need to become captivated again. and I think that's at the root of this. for all of us, we have to be captivated by Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. And so how do we do that? Well, I don't think there's any like special sauce here or anything. I think it's just sort of the normal Christian life, the normal practices of the Christian life. and so We spend time in God's Word regularly. We spend time in God's Word regularly. God has spoken to us through His Word. This is a self-revelation, right? This is God telling us what He is like and what He's up to. Through the Scriptures, we learn and we're reminded of God's greatness and His love, His goodness, His wisdom, His power, His faithfulness. Let your mind be occupied and filled with these truths. See, if we don't let the scriptures paint the picture of who God is, we will be left to our own imagination. We will be left with our own best ideas, and it will be insufficient. When you think about the second command, to not make any image, any likeness, to represent God, part of the reason why is any representation of God would always be insufficient. It could never capture who God is, so you should never make an idol, right? Never make any image to represent God. And that's kind of what we're doing if we sort of come up with our own best ideas about God. That's what the false teachers in John were doing. They were presenting a false view of God. And so if we don't let the scriptures form who God actually is, then we have an idol, right? And so we need to read the scripture, spend time in the word, let that form our thinking about God. Secondly, we need to worship. We need to worship corporately, privately, worship. One definition of worship is the odd response to the saving acts and the praiseworthy character of God. Worship is the odd response to the saving acts and the praiseworthy character of God. So certainly we, we we should worship God in our private time think about His character and praise Him for it. But it's part of why we gather here week in and week out, is to rehearse and to be reminded and maybe learn new things about who He is. We're declaring His greatness. We're declaring His worth. We are proclaiming it. We're actually proclaiming it to each other as well. That's part of what worship is. And so worship just has a way to pull our affections off of our idols and to put our affection, our eyes on, on God. And if you're like me, we've got to be really intentional about this because it's so easy to come week in and week out and we sing songs we've sung before and it can kind of become this rote thing that we just do because it's just what you do when you get together, I guess. And we've got to be intentional, right? Think about what we are voicing. Think about the truths about God that we are proclaiming because as we do that, as we, as, if we stay heart and mind engaged in that, it can pull our affections off our idols and put them on God. Third live in biblical community, live in biblical community. Anytime we are disconnected from biblical community, it is dangerous. It's dangerous. We need each other to stay connected and to seek, to connected and seeking the one true God. We need the accountability of Christian brothers and sisters who will call us out when they see us loving, trusting, serving, or pursuing other things in God. Again, we have this propensity to have blind spots. Our hearts are idle factories, and we don't see it a lot of times, but friends can see it, and we need to have this kind of biblical community where where people will help us see it, call us out. Finally, remember the cross. Remember the cross. As we look to the cross, we see God's great love. We see his great saving act. In Romans 8, Paul writes this, he says, "'What then shall we say to these things? "'If God is for us, who can be against us? "'He who did not spare his own Son, "'but gave him up for us all, "'how will he not also with him "'graciously give us all things?'' So if we know that, that God didn't spare his own Son, but he gave himself for us, we know that he's gonna give us everything that we need. And if we're convinced of that, We don't need to look to anything else. We don't need to look to idols to give us what we know God will truly give us. Today, as we celebrate communion, remember the cross. Remember this great act of salvation and that if he has given us his son, the greatest good, will he not give us all things that we need? Use this time to remember Use this time to invite God to show you what's in your heart regarding idols. Use this time to confess anything that maybe God has shown you during this time this morning. At Faith, we invite all who have trusted in Jesus as their Savior to join us in the celebration. Uh, It's going to be your first Sunday here. It doesn't matter. We would love to have you join us in celebrating communion together. And we'll take the bread and read some Scripture and then eat together. Then we'll take the juice and read Scripture and we will drink that together. If uh, Chris mentioned on the screen, but if you didn't grab the communion supplies as you were coming in, feel free to step out even now and grab that. There is some allergy-free options as well. We know that uh, there's probably those here today who are not yet haven't come to that place of trust in Christ for salvation we'd ask that you would just use this time to meditate think reflect on what we've talked about this morning and so I want to pray and then I want to actually give you a minute of time to sort of sit with God and reflect uh, before we eat and drink together Can you pray father we thank you for this time and, and we t- thank you for these these moments now of just getting still before you oh God search our hearts. show us what is there there's anything there that we love, trust, serve, or seek more than you would just show us in these moments, Father. In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, as we leave this place today, as we head out into our weeks. Would you help us to keep our eyes set on you, our affection set on you? Help us to be captivated by the wonder of our great God and your son, Jesus Christ, and all that you've done for us. God, may we love, trust, pursue, and seek you more than anything else. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.